I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector with new technology causing us to continually question the way we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the people leading this revolution and to highlight the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop and implement safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. Check us out on LinkedIn or learn more at FEV.com. Today, I'm joined by Nat Ford, who is CEO of the Jacksonville Transportation Authority, or JTA. Nat's storied career includes 10 years as the CEO of the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency and the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. Nat has received an incredible list of accolades, including receipt of the American Public Transportation Association's Outstanding Public Transportation Manager for 2020, as well as the White House Champion of Change Award. This forward-looking conversation focused on the role automated vehicles can play in public transportation, as well as the different ways in which a transportation authority, specifically JTA, can have a significant impact on its community. Please enjoy my conversation with Nat Ford. Today I'm joined by Nat Ford. Nat, we're really looking forward to the discussion. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, to get us started, can you kind of start us in the background? Who, who are you? What are you working on? And kind of introduce what Jacksonville Transportation Authority is working on. Right. So uh, again, Nat Ford, CEO of the uh, Jacksonville Transportation Authority. And December will uh, make eight years that I've been serving in that capacity. Uh, prior to joining the JTA, I actually served as the CEO of the San Francisco MTA and prior to that, CEO of the MARTA system in Atlanta. Uh, I've been in the industry nearly uh, uh, three decades, uh, nearly four decades now. And uh, I've started my career in New York Transit uh, uh, decades ago. Uh, as the leader of the Jacksonville Transportation Authority, I have the privilege to serve, uh, I think, a great organization that uh, started out in the 1950s, uh, actually as a road builder for uh, a number of projects here in uh, Northeast Florida. And then in the 70s, we took responsibility for a number of uh, private bus companies that were having uh, financial difficulties and we assumed that responsibility. We served the city of Jacksonville and Duval County, uh, 841 square miles. So we have a great deal of territory. And our portfolio right now includes a number of uh, conventional transit operations. So we have our fixed route bus service, we have bus rapid transit. Uh, we actually have a Skyway, a people mover, uh, a, a automated people mover in downtown Jacksonville. Uh, and uh, that is something that I hope we'll talk about in terms of mm -hmm. technology that we will be deploying going into the future. Uh, we also have uh, spun up a number of micro, tra micro transit operations in partnership with the private sector. So, uh, and a, a, a nearly $200 million in road projects that uh, program, a road program building program that we have underway. So we, we've got a lot under our, uh, our, our watch at this moment and it's an exciting time for the JTA. Awesome, thank you for the overview. And I, I can say, so yeah, uh, the, the public or mass transit space isn't necessarily my, my core area. Anybody who's listened to the, the podcast here has seen Paul Comfort's actually been on twice talking about um, about this area, I think he referenced you in, in both of the in both of his appearances in different areas, which is, which is how we got connected. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting. JTA definitely has a, a name and a brand that uh, that's making some noise. Well, what we're trying to do is, you know, obviously our day to day responsibility is to ensure that the citizens here in Duval County and really regionally now, because we've launched a number of regional express bus services uh, in the past two years. 
but the, the primary responsibility of the JTA is to provide access to uh, those activities that our citizens need, safe, reliable transportation, uh, be it getting to their jobs, uh, getting to a doctor's office if they need medical services, uh, getting them to educational opportunities. So we are a major economic driver for our community and we help improve the quality of life in our community. I think the JTA more recently is, uh, you know, we have really looked at technology and how we can leverage technology going into uh, the future. Uh, and uh, that has really probably gotten us the greatest level of attention is beyond the day-to-day -day responsibilities that we have, very important, but how we're leveraging technology to improve those services uh, we deliver to our community and prepare for the future uh, for our customers and consumers that are looking for, you know, a different experience in terms of their transportation needs. And uh, we have a very exciting project that uh, we think uh, will be uh, a model project for urban transportation going into the future. And that's our U2C project. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that. I, before we go there, just just two two quick questions or, or points I want to touch on. So, so the first one, you mentioned this important role that JTA plays. How how are you monitoring success? What, what type of metrics are you looking at? Or how, how can you determine whether you're, you're doing a, a good job providing a service to the public? Well, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, as I mentioned, I've been in our industry for nearly four decades. And uh, I had an opportunity to serve in our industry as chairman of the American Public Transportation Association. And during that tenure, you know, one of the things that I, I really wanted our agencies to focus on is leveraging the data that we collect. And, uh, you know, for, you know, for decades, you know, our primary measure of success was how many people we carried on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I think that ebbs and flows depending on economic uh, circumstances of our communities. In our case, for example, in Jacksonville, you know, 70% of our ridership is what we call transit dependent folks that don't have a choice. They don't own an automobile and that we are their major or their number one mode of transportation. Uh, and using that as a measurement, particularly during a, you know, the successful economic period we've had in recent years, uh, many individuals will go out and purchase a vehicle because it gives them a better opportunity to move their entire family. In some certain social economic levels uh, in our community, that automobile is used 24 hours a day. It's used by multiple members of the family. And so they will move away from transit during those, those periods of economic growth. Uh, however, when it flips the, to the other side, we become a very cost-effective uh, transportation mode for, for our community. So we will measure ridership uh, on, for, for decades. We've used ridership as the ultimate measure of how many, you know, how well you're doing. I, I have pressed our industry and the Federal Transit Administration to really look at what economic impact we have in terms of types of trips. If I am providing a connection to medical facilities for a certain seg segment of my community, maybe that measurement should really look at the medical or healthcare outcomes for my community uh, for, uh, that I provide, because not all trips are equal. Uh, not, you know, these are not trips that in some cases are uh, recreational. These are life-sustaining trips you know, for members of our community. So I, I think that's one measurement. You know, obviously the number of people we carry, but also what impact of we're having on those communities to help them advance out of economic depression be able to go to get better ed educational opportunities to also be able to uh, 
advance their uh, job uh, uh, market and be able to tr travel our community and seek jobs, not just in their local community, but also extend their reach in terms of job opportunities, educational opportunities, and healthcare opportunities. Also, uh, we look at our success in terms of our community, particularly in, in helping with equity issues, uh, is related to our contracting. Uh, we do a, you know, I mentioned earlier, $200 million worth of road building that we have under our purview right now. And I'm happy to say and proud to say that nearly 30% of all of our contracts actually are being uh, pro uh, provided, the services are being provided by minority, small businesses, women-owned businesses, disadvantaged businesses. And so we have an impact in terms of the local economy for uh, in terms of equity and making sure that everyone is able to benefit from the work that we are doing. And uh, you will find that many of these small businesses and minority-owned businesses actually hire minorities and women and uh, to support their operation. And so uh, those are some of the measures of success and obviously reducing congestion. Uh, and we are fortunate here. We have a great road system. We are part of that solution. And at the same time, we provide choices to our community. And then finally, one thing that I, I've, we have recently uh, been measuring is the impact of our development along our major corridors. Uh, our bus rapid transit network, uh, the First Coast Flyer, we're seeing billions of dollars of investment along those corridors within a quarter mile band. And if you get to a half a mile band, uh, that is uh, exponentially even larger. So uh, long-winded answer to your question, but uh, I see our impact uh, in many different ways in terms of our mission and vision here in, uh, in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I also realize it's far from a simple question. It's a, it's a yeah. complex ecosystem you're living in. Um, yes. Because I, I mean, I think if you take a far enough time frame the decisions for where people are working, where they're living, um, the decisions of whether they can do most of their travel, even if they can't afford a, a private vehicle. I mean, maybe you don't need one if you have a, a transportation system that you can rely on. And it, it seems like there's yeah, a lot of factors here that overall that's right. place public or the transit uh, transportation as an important role in developing the city and in this case, Jacksonville um, okay, going nice. forward. Exactly. We're, we're a critical part of this, our community's infrastructure, a backbone of our economic development. Uh, when we actually, um, you know, look, when manufacturing or companies are looking for opportunities in Jacksonville, we are so proud of the fact that they reach out to the JTA to look and see where our services are provided and getting people, uh, their employees to those facilities. And we're critical in that. And we're part of those economic development conversation, uh, com conversations in our community. Yeah, great. So, so I know in an area you want you to talk about and uh, also that uh, I know you're, you're passionate about is this yeah, technology introduction. And let's start with this ultimate urban circulator, U2C. Can you uh, kind of paint the background? What is this and what role does it play going forward? Right. So the ultimate urban circulator, or U2C for short, as we call it, uh, it was born out of the challenge uh, we were facing with our uh, Skyway system. It's two and a half mile uh, people mover. It's a monorail system that was built nearly 30 years ago. Uh, it's reaching the end of its useful life, and we're seeing obsolescence and issues in terms of keeping it up and running. At the same time, in our downtown core, uh, we are 
A great deal of development is occurring in our downtown core. We're seeing an influx of individuals who want to live, work, and play in downtown versus the 840 miles that we have to serve. And so we're very excited about that, having a robust downtown core. And so a decision was made uh, to modernize our existing Skyway as well as expand it into the adjoining neighborhoods uh, that are developing also in terms of downtown uh, Jacksonville. And the challenge we had is to continue building our refurbishing and then expanding the existing monorail system would have taken too much time and would have been way too costly uh, in terms of the need that we see right on the horizon. With that being said, uh, you know, our engineers that work in the road building uh, 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 part of our operation uh, met and worked with our uh, engineers that work in our transit operation. And so we approached our projects holistically. And between those two groups, they came up with the innovative solution of introducing autonomous vehicles, which our road folks are you know, examining from a technology, future technology standpoint and making sure our roads are able to support these new technologies. And then the transit need in terms of being able to expand mass transit into these communities. And the U2C program was developed. Uh, the strategy is to uh, re uh, reimagine or re-engineer the actual two and a half mile air aerial structure, the monorail structure, uh, create a roadway at elevation. So modify the actual monorail and create, recreate the, uh, the roadway that was the initial first phase of the Skyway. The earlier phases was actually a roadway with a rubber tired vehicle uh, and then building a series of end of, uh, end of structure ramps that would then take uh, the Skyway down to street level, uh, the roadway down to street level, and then use autonomous vehicles operating in dedicated lanes. And eventually when uh, technology gets robust enough and matures enough that these vehicles will be able to operate in mixed traffic. So a major conversion project, uh, we are in first phase. Uh, we received a bill grant uh, from USDOT for 12 and a half million, uh, combining that with funding from the Florida Department of Transportation, our own internal funding, our partnerships with our energy authority. We have now a $45 million project, which is phase one, connecting uh, the existing Skyway to our uh, sports complex where the Jacksonville Jaguars play and major development is going to occur. And then uh, phase two will be the conversion of the aerial structure uh, from a monorail to a roadway and then uh, phase four will be the at-grade extensions into, uh, into the adjoining uh, neighborhoods to downtown. It is a project that's gotten us a great deal of attention uh, because uh, we're actually using aging infrastructure and marrying it with new technology in a way that allows us to uh, get, provide more options for mobility in our community. Uh, as part of a spinoff, we have a test and learn uh, program uh, with an agile plan where we will be deploying autonomous vehicles uh, in different scenarios around our community uh, so that we can learn more about the vehicles, uh, help with the artificial intelligence and the learning of these vehicles. So uh, uh, we have a partnership with FSCJ, which is our local uh, college here, the Florida State College at Jacksonville, where we will be standing, utilizing their test track uh, their uh, roadway test track, as well as providing curriculum and using it as a test facility and, tr and training 
uh, young students in uh, all things uh, 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 autonomous vehicle uh, oriented. And uh, the that partnership is fantastic. We learn a lot, then they get a chance to develop the workforce of the future. And then the sec uh, another project that we were very excited about is we've begun similar conversations with the Mayo Clinic. And you may have heard that uh, for a four month period, we actually used our autonomous vehicles. We have uh, two under our watch right now under our, our test program that uh, were used to uh, move uh, COVID-19 uh, test specimens from their drive-through parking uh, on their campus, uh, moving those test samples on our autonomous vehicles in level four uh, autonomy, level four, no attendant on board uh, from those park, uh, parking lots to their laboratory uh, where those uh, specimens were processed. We moved over 30,000 specimens during a four month period. So again, great partnership. But uh, the idea is leveraging technology for our community going into the future. And I think the opportunities are boundless in terms of just the accessibility we will be able to provide using autonomous vehicles uh, and uh, provide that efficiently, um, a greater span of hours, and most importantly, safely uh, in terms of our operation. A lot, a lot of questions there. <laughs> I'm going to want to circle back on here. Here, uh, uh, right. The first one starting with the Mayo Clinic at the end here. Yeah, I, I think that that's an awesome case study. And especially as you're thinking of taking advantage of the limited healthcare resources, limiting human touch or interaction yeah. with these specimens, it, it seems like a, a perfect use case for autonomous or automated vehicles. And level four, yeah, that's, that's great to hear. I guess one, one question for you. Do you think that would have been possible for you to get that in place if you weren't already doing this research or um, this development work for the U2C? Like, did those uh, end up coming together? Exactly. So we had already, you know, as part of our test and learn and our development of this program, identified that it would be to our advantage uh, from for two reasons. Obviously, research for us to have a better understanding of this technology and the limitations as well as the opportunities. And so the conversations had started with Florida State College of Jacksonville in terms of uh, standing up an operation on their campus as part of our test and learn. Uh, Jacksonville University, and we're still, you know, having some discussions with them and the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and the Mayo Clinic was very receptive to early conversations that focused primarily on moving uh, their doctors, the nurses, the staff from their expansive campus where they have were really challenged with space uh, and they needed to you know, actually expand their campus and expand their uh, facilities. And they have parking lots that were uh, pretty, a good, pretty good distance away uh, from their main facilities, moving their uh, staff personnel from those parking lots to uh, their workplace. Uh, we also had had discussions with them in terms of, uh, you know, a great deal of laundry is uh, generated uh, and the need for cleaning that laundry and actually using autonomous vehicles to move that laundry from their uh, beds to their um, uh, cleaning facility. So those discussions were already underway and then the pandemic hit. And so we quickly pivoted to support them and you know, lessen their burden as it relates to their health uh, personnel, their staff that needed to check temperatures for people coming into the building. Those folks were, uh, they were able to use the, their strained resources and focus on those health oriented 
uh, needs. And it allowed us to, and we stepped in the gap and was able to provide that transportations for those specimens. Uh, otherwise they would have to use runners and, and uh, personnel to focus on that versus focusing on the critical medical uh, services they need to provide. So if we had not done that work in advance, and I think maybe the point that uh, is most important here, the partnerships, mm-hmm. having these partnerships in place in advance, uh, starting those discussions, and then being able, uh, I think for the JTA and for Mayo, uh, being able to quickly pivot and getting the support of our board of directors and our leadership team being able to immediately shift gears and reach an agreement to begin that pilot program. Uh, it was, I think, something for us to be extremely proud of as the JTA. Uh, and we feel that mobility uh, and our expertise in mobility can be leveraged in many different ways that uh, go beyond our core responsibility of moving people on a daily basis. Yeah, it's great to see. And it's also this line of thinking that I think is shown both with this Mayo Clinic example, and then also just the, the greater overall project with, with the U2C, which I can point to you. I know you guys have a nice website that I recommend if anyone's interested, you can go and see the different phases and, and how this actually looks, um, which right. is pretty exciting. But I, I like this line of thinking because I'm of the belief that there's a lot of benefit for automated vehicles um, from a safety perspective, from a efficiency standpoint, eventually a cost savings perspective. Definitely. We're not there yet though, where we can just roll this out on the road and get and have great things happen all over the place. So that's where I, I really like the, the line of thinking, okay, let's understand the technology, let's understand the limitations, what we can actually do right now, and let's find an impactful use case or multiple impactful use cases, scale up while... Uh, while being intelligent about it and actually get some things into practice so that we can get some quick wins and and show what this can do. So I like that a lot. You summed it up exactly. For one, uh, you know, I I cannot uh, uh, miss the opportunity to applaud our entire organization when they brought me uh, this as as an opportunity. The answer was immediately yes. One, because we do need to lean in to help support our community as we um, as we manage our way through this pandemic. Uh, but more importantly, it also reflected their uh, creativity and their commitment uh, to, uh, to, to autonomous vehicle technology and being, you know, using this as an opportunity for us to learn so much. There would not have been, uh, currently we have no level four operation. There would not have been an opportunity for us to really see what a level four operation looks like what would be the belts and suspenders we needed to put around it to operate it safely. It gave us an opportunity to train a large number of our staff in terms of being remote operators. Uh, So they were able to remotely monitor the vehicles, their performance uh, uh, through, uh, I guess, 30,000 samples being transmitted over, uh, transferred over a four month period. It was a great learning experience for the JTA, great socialization experience Uh, for the JTA. So, you know, think of all of the employees at Mayo Clinic and visitors to Mayo Clinic looking at those autonomous vehicles and recognizing this is not a question of if, it's a question of when these uh, vehicles will be mainstream. So it helped us with socialization of the uh, technology and helping our community get comfortable with it. Yeah, great great to see. And I'm excited to uh, to follow along and hopefully see some more of these success stories in, in the near future. Um, wanted, I know we had somewhat touched on both these topics, just wanted to give the opportunity if you wanted to, to talk any further about, I guess, two, two other unique things that 
I understand that JT is working on. So, so one is serving as more of a re- regional provider rather than focusing just on the city of Jacksonville. And then the second is you mentioned a little bit um, the, the importance of development along some of your key corridor corridors. So how, how are you thinking about kind of yeah. joint development or transit oriented development? Right. So earlier this year, we opened up the uh, Jacksonville Regional Transportation Center at La Villa. So it's our new regional mobility hub. And that's where all of our bus rapid transit uh, uh, services, which are, you know, we have three three major uh, bus rapid transit corridors. We're getting ready to build our fourth. And with that fourth, we'll be complete on a 57-mile bus rapid transit network, which is a premium bus service, limited stops. It operates more in the fashion of a rail line with uh, dedicated lanes, super-sized stations in terms of, uh, you know, what you're used to in terms of bus stops. It's much more uh, robust, actually has real-time passenger information. So that's kind of the skeleton in the core of our, our, our operation. Our neighbors... Uh, in our neighbors to Duval County and to Jacksonville uh, are seeing exponential growth in their uh, communities. And the job center is the city of Jacksonville. Uh, So two years ago, we launched uh, the first of a number of regional uh, connecting services that also feed into the Jacksonville uh, Regional Transportation Center. Uh, And uh, to the south of us, St. John's County is one of the uh, fastest growing counties in the United States. And so uh, uh, we have partnered with St. John's County, with Baker County, with Clay County and Nassau County to stand up these operations that then feed into the Jacksonville Regional Transportation Center. Along uh, along with that examination of growth, we are now beginning discussions with St. John's County on commuter rail from uh, commuter rail from uh, St. Augustine, City of St. Augustine uh, to downtown Jacksonville in the Regional Transportation Center. And so we're in a growth, a rapid growth mode, and uh, we are recognizing that there's a number of different modes that we need to deploy to satisfy the citizens of Northeast Florida. Uh, so the JTA is uniquely uh, governed or our statutes that govern the JTA give us the ability to actually operate uh, in, through interlocal agreements with these adjoining counties. And we are becoming more regional in nature, or we actually are regional in nature in terms of these services. And we will be examining commuter rail, uh, hopefully for a deployment in the uh, future. Uh, and that will take a, a great deal of work and, and socialization and a great deal of money to get that up and running. One thing that we are very proud of, though, in terms of going back to the First Coast Flyer, we're very proud of the development that is occurring along those corridors. And the JTA has accumulated property over the years uh, and a lot uh, along these corridors. And we are deploying transit-oriented development uh, techniques. We have been training our uh, development community developers in, in Jacksonville and Northeast Florida to recognize that being adjacent to one of our bus facilities are being adjacent to the property adjacent to the regional transportation center are opportunities for transit oriented development to create these live work play communities where there's a combination of residential and recreational activities and restaurants and and then retail or office uh, also development opportunities that could be provided and so uh you know we again we're building the facilities and the infrastructure to transport our citizens. And at the same time, we are enticing them 
to actually live uh, right along these facilities and then hopefully use them uh, as a uh, mode of transportation for uh, work for, uh, as I said, healthcare needs, uh, recreation, as well as educational transportation needs. So we're very excited about the growth of what's happening in Northeast Florida and Jacksonville and how you know, our primary role is providing transportation infrastructure, but at the same time, we are uh, having a significantly positive impact on economic development in our community. Yeah, really interesting example, and in, uh, like yeah, the, the holistic view, and and I think points to the uh, the importance of, of transportation within a city. So, thanks for sharing. I, I guess one mm-hmm. one quick topic I wanted to touch on before we get into kind of the the closing uh, rapid fire questions: um, mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion. So, definitely yeah. a, a topic that you you've already touched on a little bit in this discussion. But mm-hmm. I guess maybe from a, a personal perspective, if, if I could ask, so. Yeah. Pick pick a a professional in the industry. So my, myself, I've asked this question several times. What if diversity and inclusion is, is something that's important and is something that I want to help with? What what's, what would you recommend as steps or or things that people can do to actually make a difference here? You know, in terms of diversity and inclusion, and it's not a simple answer, but I think it starts with the recognition and uh, recognition that for any organization, uh, the JTA, uh, our government, um, you know, uh, our agencies across the country, for any of us to be successful, we have to have diversity of thought, diversity of background, uh, experiences and things of that nature. So I don't necessarily put it, put it in the bucket of racial diversity or uh, gender diversity. But if you want to be successful in this diverse world of diverse consumers, uh, diverse citizens, I think you need to have teams that reflect that diversity. And for the JTA, uh, and I put it, I'll put it in, in these terms, I think our success has been largely to the diversity of our team. And in our seeking the best and the brightest for our team, we ended up with a very diverse team that represents private se- folks who have developed in private sector, folks that have developed in government, folks that are transportation professionals, mm-hmm. folks that are non-transportation professionals. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting if you set out with the target of being extremely competitive, looking for creative solutions, looking for uh, successful individuals, uh, you end up with that diversity. Our executive team, our leadership team, is about um, is about fifty to sixty percent people of color and women. Uh, did we initially seek to do that right from the start with some quota or some type of measurement? Not necessarily. We did not look to do that. We do recognize that the diversity of gender is important. We monitor that, but more importantly, we look for a diverse team of successful individuals and and we have our leadership criteria that has really helped us uh, develop that team. And then when we look back, we recognize, wow, we have one of the most diverse teams in the country, but look at the results of the JTA and some of the things we've been able to accomplish and things that we're preparing for in the future. And so I would say that it's not I want to have to be successful, it's a need to have if a company or a corporation wants to be successful in this in this day and age with the number of pressures and uh, decision-making and critical um, thinking that needs to occur, you need to have very uh, diverse teams around the table helping to evaluate those decisions. 
and then we have our more practical measuring stick, which is the diversity of our uh, contracting opportunities. And again, when I talk to companies who want to do business with the JTA, I share with them that we believe that diverse teams are more successful in dealing with challenges and accomplishments, uh, accomplishing uh, goals. And so uh, uh, we impress them to uh, include that in their, uh, in their work. And uh, it, has been, it has benefited the JTA uh, uh, to this date. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Uh, so, like I said, wanted to just quickly close with uh, three kind of rapid que- rapid fire questions here. So the first, for, for you personally, what's a, uh, if, if you do much reading or, or, or books, uh, what, what what's a particular book or books that has uh, stood out for you and, and has a significant impact on you? Uh, I would say uh, there's a couple of books. I would say, you know, leadership in uh in dangerous times, I'm reading that right now. And so I just started reading that and we are in these dangerous times as it relates to COVID-19. And, and so uh, this is uh, really looking at battlefield leadership and making tough decisions and in, in, in uncertain uh, environments. Uh, going from good to great, uh, that's one that I've always valued as it relates to uh, how companies are able to survive and manage through change uh, and uh, the success of certain companies versus others that didn't embrace change. And then also a book that uh, you know, uh, I've read from time to time or reread from time to time is The Power Broker. Uh, you know, it's that story regarding um, the develop of New York City in, in terms of uh, uh, construction and Robert Moses' role in terms of the design of the city. Uh, not so much a fan of Robert Moses because of some of the results, but just the importance of the decisions we make as the JTA and how they can have generational impacts in terms of our investment in infrastructure, the decisions we make related to transportation uh, facilities, where they're located, how we go about implementing major projects. Uh, you know that book has uh, uh, from you know given me some insights as to. Uh, why we do what we do and what is the right way to do it in, in terms of the future and preparing for our folks for uh, success in the future. Cool. How about a hobby of yours? So when you're not working, what, what do you like to do? Oh, well, I got a, a couple of those, but I don't get a chance to get to them too often. You know, one hobby is I, I, I at some point I used to play a, a, a decent game of golf and uh, <laughs> but I haven't had a chance to to do that often uh, in recent years, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to get back to that. Love to cook and uh, I like to go, I like to garden. So I like to uh, grow vegetables and things of that nature when I, you know, again, when I have the opportunity to do that. Nice. And then, so the, the last kind of real question here, what, what would you say is a personal strength of yours? And, and so I, yeah, I bring this up as because I'm of the opinion that we make the biggest impact and we're, we're able to do the greatest things when we can recognize and take advantage of the things that we do particularly well. So with, with that in mind, what, what do you think is something that, that you do well? Wow. Uh, some may say I do it too much, but, uh, you know, I, um, I believe in having a high uh, level of excellence in what I do. Uh, and what we do as a team. And I try to impart that to our team members. We, uh, we are realists. We know that everything we do can't be perfect, but we start out trying to perfectly execute everything we do. And so uh, 
we take our time, uh, we do our due diligence and we evaluate the pros and cons, uh, uh, the pros and cons of every decision we make. But once we make that decision, decision, we move forward with a sense of purpose and excellence that is, uh, uh, that is infectious and it, it permeates the entire organization. Uh, and we have a team of individuals that are, that I'm surrounded around that, uh, good is not, uh, good enough. And, uh, that is something that we walk in the door every morning with in terms of our, uh, our perspective and our attitude towards what we're doing. Uh, and it, at the very end of the day, it's to the benefit of our community mm-hmm. and they deserve the very best. Awesome. And, and I, I can't resist, but so quick, quick follow-up question there. So what, what, what do you think goes into building a culture like that? Is it, is it in the hiring, the, the way you behave, work, the processes, communication? What, what do you think is it? Uh, it's, it's definitely in the hiring. Uh, I think that's the most, that's the most important first step. Uh, so, uh, you know, eight years ago when I arrived to the JTA, great team of individuals here who have been working here at the JTA. Uh, but I had the opportunity, uh, based on some vacancies, uh, the need to prepare for the future. That was the uh, directive that I got from the board of directors. Prepare us for the future. Prepare an infrastructure for a, a transportation infrastructure for Jacksonville. We want to take our city to the next level and a robust transportation network and transit and roads and sidewalks and bike lanes, all of those things are necessary for us to move our community forward. Uh, And I was giving a green light uh, to identify the best and brightest uh, in our community or outside of our community to come be part of this team. And we have 12 leadership attributes, we can share that with you, that we use as our filter. So, you know, uh, individuals have uh, great experience and years and decades of experience. However, these leadership attributes, if they do not possess the vast majority of them, uh, they can't be part, you can't be part of this team uh, because uh, we think it's the ability to communicate, being inspirational, being a critical thinker, uh, being a, a team player. All of those different attributes are much more important than what may be listed on someone's resume. And so we hire towards those leadership attributes. And in some cases, this took us outside the JTA. In some cases, it allowed us to promote individuals within the JTA. Uh, but uh, from a DNA standpoint, uh, our team is built with individuals that uh, you know, have uh, large uh, capacities. Uh, they want to be perfectionists. They want to be excellent at what they do. They are uh, always constantly learning, uh, looking at other industries to bring insights into what we do. Uh, they're reasonable risk takers. Uh, the Mayo Clinic is, uh, example is, uh, uh, pilot is an example of that. And so uh, uh, I'll share those 12 uh, leadership characteristics with you, uh, but uh, we hire towards those characteristics and uh, it has served us very well. Yeah, that'd be awesome if you could. And I know for myself personally, where, where I am in my career, I'm, I'm fascinated by that topic and would love to see how, how you guys think about it. And uh, yeah, I'd have to imagine there's at least one other person out there listening who, who would like to see. So I can share okay. that with the, we'll, the show notes. Yeah, we'll share that with you. And by all means, feel free to sh- share it. We're, we're actually getting ready to modify it because, again, leadership attributes change, change with the times. Mm-hmm. And there are certain strengths that are more valuable at a certain time in an organizational's develop our organization's development than they are at other times, but uh, they've uh, they've stood the test of time, and uh, I'm very proud of our team, and 
I couldn't have a, a better team to work with for all of the things that we are advancing on behalf of our community. Awesome. And so just to, to close, so Net Net, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I think, like I said, awesome to see what JTA is doing. And I, I'm excited to continue to watch. Um, just one open-ended, if, where, where would you point people to learn if they want to learn more about you, about the projects you're working on, about the GTA? Um, I, I can link to the, the core websites and things, but any particular resources that you would want to point people yeah, to? So I, obviously, JTAFLA.com. Uh, uh, that is uh, at... Uh, jtafla.com. Uh, uh, that is our website. Uh, then I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and so just do a search on Nathaniel Ford, I think it, uh, Nat Ford or Nathaniel Ford, you'll, I'll be on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, we do post up a great deal of information on Twitter. Uh, and we also have a JTA Facebook page. I encourage you to come to our website or any of those uh, social media outlets, because uh, we have a uh, a significant amount of social media. That is something that we also leverage as the JTA in terms of our communications uh, with our passengers, as well as our greater community, which supports us. Uh, that's something that I think we do very, very well. Uh, and uh, please uh, look at those, uh, those sites and those venues uh, to see the videos, presentations, uh, reports, all related to uh, what I shared here and even more that we didn't get a chance to cover. Sounds good. Well, like I said, thank you, Nat, and uh, hopefully we can talk in the future. All right. Well, thank you. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact to share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.